0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album cover of yours truly, Jarell Mason, better known to some as J. Mace, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a good friend of mine. We've been friends since my days in the Ronald Valley. Shout out to everybody in the 252. We was interning at 99.5 Jams. What up, CJ321 D-Train, D-Twin, and I'm going to try to get through this interview out laughing with all the inside jokes and all the funny, fun times at the station. Here's Mr. You-know-what-it-is himself, DJ Intern. Intern, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, bro.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you for having me.
0: Man, it's been far too long, man. I'm finally glad that we we're able to uh, lock something down and have you on the podcast and chop it up.
1: Yes, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to even sit down with you. It has been a long time. Uh, You know, we've had some great times together, so I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah,
0: and it's crazy to think, you know, you're from the 434 area, now from the 252 area, NCBA, Link Up, Stand Up, and how those two areas really pretty much collaborate with each other more than people think. So tell the people about where you were born, and how did you fall in love with music and DJing?
1: Yes, uh, 434-252 collab is actually very strong. Uh, A lot of people don't know that, as you mentioned. Um, I'm from the 434 small town, Broadnax, Virginia, Brunswick County, which is about 20 minutes from the North Carolina line. Uh, So we're relatively close. Um, I ended up getting into music. Uh, Backstory, I was a musician, started in elementary school, playing different instruments and matriculated through high school, even into college, uh, began with a music education degree um, and decided later on that I wanted to be more into the technical side and behind the scenes. So I went into the mass comm and journalism field, which led me to doing my internship at WYTT 99.5 in the Roanoke Valley, you know, Roanoke uh, Rapids area, Weldon, which um, gave me an opportunity to find out what it was like to be in the radio industry, also television. Uh, So that was a short backstory of how the 252 Link Up came about. Uh, So that brought me into my DJ career more so, which led me to meeting the great people like you, yourself, uh, DJ 321, CJ Riddick, uh, D-Train, everybody at 99.5, great family. So my backstory is pretty much kind of how a lot of other DJs come about. They just fell in love with music, Uh, From a young age, my parents, I had an older brother who was 17 years older than me. So the music that he listened to, I ultimately became uh, more aware of the music as I got older. So I fell in love with a lot of the music and just started building a music base and decided that I wanted to be either the voice on the radio or the guy playing the music, which ultimately is a DJ most times. Mm, So you're probably the one kid.
0: Yeah, so you were probably the one kid at the cookout that was standing by the component set. So for those of you that's too young to remember the component set, that's when they would bring the whole stereo from the living room outside with the wires. And you couldn't go too far because, once again, this is pre-wireless.
1: Correct. Yep. Yeah, that was me. Either I was around it or I was the one changing out the tapes. Back then, there weren't CDs really yet. Those were just coming about. So it was all still tapes. So I was changing all the tapes or, you know, with an aunt or uncle who was around a component set handing them the tapes. So I would just, you know, search for them. So that was absolutely me.
0: Yeah. Kind of remind me of um, the most recent episode of the Wonder Years reboot and how um the young boy was kind of a part of the grown folks party, so to speak, where daddy was getting nice. And daddy was like, I need a refill. He would fix daddy's uh adult juice.
1: Right. Yep. That was me. I was always that kid that was around. Uh, I had you know, cousins that were my age, but I tended to hang around with all of my aunts and uncles and my parents, so I was always around the older crowd, and uh, that really ultimately helped me in the, in the long end, I have an old soul, so I, I know a good amount of music from back then and to now. Right,
0: and being from the 434 area, I believe you went to Brunswick County High, correct?
1: Correct, yep, Brunswick County High School.
0: Mm, and Brunswick County High, home of... Byron Stiff, who played in the NBA for years, and I believe he's currently on the coaching staff at uh, UVA out in Charlottesville, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. But knowing how that school churns out basketball players like it's nothing, because for those of you that's unfamiliar with the Ronald Valley area, every Christmas, it would be the local Christmas tournament, the Daily Herald Holiday Classic at my alma mater, formerly known as North Ender County High School West, now North Ender County High, and how whenever Brunswick County would play, no matter what school was playing against Brunswick, it would be standing room only. So you pretty much had to get there to the early game to at least reserve your seat.
1: Absolutely. That's correct. We've always had a very uh, standout crowd that supported our basketball team. We've had many players um, like you said Brian Stiff was the most notable one that uh, went on to be in the NBA and, and represent our school but we have a very high regard for uh, basketball we have won numerous state championships and like you said with the holiday classic it was always standing room only when Brunswick was on the ticket for sure.
0: And also big shout out to uh, Keldon Johnson, who's currently in the league, I believe, with the Spurs, went to Parkview High School out in South Hill. And then uh, the late Jerome Kersey, who played for the Portland Trail Blazers, played his high school ball in Bluestone, Virginia.
1: Yes. Yep. All from the 4 through 4 area. Absolutely correct.
0: Yeah, which is crazy because like I stated earlier, how our areas are so close where NC people would go to VA, VA people will go to NC and then you're not too far from Richmond, Petersburg, Central VA and how it's in close proximity, but it still has its own distinct flavor. So what do you say is the difference in VA from 434 to 804 and 757 area?
1: Like you said, they all are distinct of their own. Four three four is more of the country, less population. It's more laid back, a lot of family, so you get that smaller town vibe. Eight oh four, your city, you know, your Petersburgs, your Richmonds, your Colonial Heights, uh, so forth. It's that city. It's the the cap city as it's known. So you get that really small city, but big city vibe at the same time. Seven five seven. The seven cities, each of those seven cities are different in their own. No matter what you say, everybody from outside of the seven cities looks at it as it being one area. But if you truly go to the seven cities, you will see that each city is a different place within itself, all in that one area, uh, which gives Virginia its own different sound. Just like we know we have Timberland, Missy, Pharrell, so many other people that are from the 757 then here in the 804 where i am currently we have people like dj lonnie b mad skills king tut which is also from the 434 another notable person he you know is a a dj here in the 804 now uh, but he's a notable person from the the 434 as well and numerous other people that have done you know great things from each of these cities which all have different aspects that bring together and make Virginia, what it is outside of, you know, the the Northern Virginia part and the Western part. Uh, so we all have different things that are also alike, but we all stand apart from each other, but we're relatively close in, in proximity at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know you spent some time in the 757 attending Norfolk State University. So what was the DJing scene like at Norfolk State? And were you trying to really get your name out there yet while you were at Norfolk State?
1: Yes, I did attend Norfolk State University, Behold the a and go salute to all my my Spartans that are near and far. Um, honestly, when I first got to Norfolk State, I was still concentrated on marching band. That was my thing. I was going in for the marching band. Uh, shout out to the Legion. I well, went in, started, but ended up getting sick. So I ended up not even marching, you know, the time that I was there, which moved my focus from being a marching band to being a DJ. We had an on-campus DJ, Salute to DJ Vince. Um, he's been on 106 in Park, Rap City, The Basement, numerous other things that he's been known for. Um, so just seeing him around campus a few times my freshman year, I was like, okay, this is, you know, something I might want to really get into and, and, and make a connection. So I just saw him, you know, at an event one day, started talking to him, chopped it up, and I became one of his wingmen. He he had a, a squad of DJs between North Carolina, VA, and D.C. Uh, his, his company is All-City all Entertainment. And ultimately, on each campus of most of the HBCUs, he had at least three or four DJs that were either well-known already or up-and-coming. So we would all take turns doing different parties, um, go to different cities. Sometimes, like, DJs from D.C. would come down to Norfolk or even – Elizabeth City, Shaw, wherever, you know, he had a party going on. We would all, you know, mix and take our turns. So that gave me my shot uh, to getting into the DJ lifestyle and and finding out what it was like. So, you know, I would have to carry the speakers, do the setup, learn how to set up everything. So all of that was how I really got my start and what I more or less, you know, took to heart to figure out if I really wanted to be a DJ. Uh, So the 757 gave me, a start so to say into my dj game but the 434 and the 804 is where i've done a good part of my work as well as in the 252 shout out to everybody at 252 that books me appreciate y'all
0: yes sir so was there any cross collaboration between the other schools in the 757 like norfolk state hampton william and mary and then even further down south of uh, elizabeth city and other schools around the 252 area close to the 757 yeah
1: absolutely um so norfolk state odu sometimes christopher newport hampton of course which is right across the bay that's uh, a big rivalry for norfolk state since uh you know we're not too far apart from each other in the same area so a lot of us would dj parties and so on and so forth and, and go back and forth between all of the schools relatively in the area but mainly we did hampton norfolk state elizabeth city uh, sometimes we do Shaw. We'll go up to Howard, Morgan State, Bowie. Uh so we even went north and went to Maryland sometimes too, as well. And even out to uh UMES uh in the Eastern Shore. So we uh we got a good fair share of doing different parties and and figuring out where things were. And you know, with me being the new guy, I didn't get to rock too many parties until the older guys ahead of me did their thing and and went on and you know graduated and whatever they did. So I still got to get a chance. I would open up here and there, but most of the time I was the guy that did set up and just was the the opener.
0: Yeah, so the behind the scenes guy, maybe on occasions, do the warm up set.
1: Correct. Yep, that was me for my first two to three years of being on his team.
0: Mm, like former President Obama said, there's levels to this because if you think about all the DJs before you that came in the game, they got in by carrying the crates of records in the club and just doing whatever they had to do to get on and when there was their time to get on they were official because the leader in front of them gave them that cosign, and that's how you earned your stripes
1: exactly yep and that's that's kind of what he stuck to is that old school value of even though we don't carry per se crates anymore which is vinyl for those that you know don't know what crates are But still, you were the low man on the totem pole or the lady, which we did have a a few females that DJed as well. But you had to do the setup. You learned how to set up everything, make sure everything was good, make sure the levels were straight. And you did all the back end work and also studied and and got that time in to learn the craft and also, you know, see what to do and what not to do. Until it was your time to shine. And when, when you got that time to shine, you did your thing. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it wasn't. It just what it was as a part of, you know, the, the learning curve to being a DJ. Mm, so before you can never
0: become a boss, first, you got to learn how to serve.
1: That's right. That's the only way to do it.
0: Mm, and while we're talking about HBCUs, I'll be remiss if we didn't mention a former HBCU that was located down in uh, Lawrenceville, Virginia, uh, St. Paul's College. So can we talk about the legacy of St. Paul's and what it meant to the
1: 434 area? It was huge. Uh, if you talk to anybody that was in the area four three four, from the early two thousands, the mid eighties, from there until the you know early two thousands, they spoke really highly of St. Paul's College. It was the heartbeat of Lawrenceville. That was Brunswick County's biggest thing. Uh, St. Paul's College had a lot of great people to come through, uh, matriculate. The sports as well. Basketball was really, really huge. It's just like the holiday classics or a Brunswick high school game. St. Paul's games sometimes would be standing room only. And the floor of the gym was sweating because it was so many people there attending the games. So it was definitely a a huge loss for the county and the area when the school ultimately ended up closing. Uh, But it's still a a highly regarded school, still spoken of to this day. And if I remember correctly, from recently, they're still trying to get the school open back up and and hopefully it you know be a remainder for the Longsville and, and Brunswick County area.
0: Mm, with HBCUs, of course, they were founded at a time when we can go to PWIs, that's predominantly white institutions, and it gave us the avenue to say we're more than just this, we could be scholars, we could be leaders, we could be educators, and it helped develop the African-American middle class, and ain't no party like an HBCU party, I'm gonna tell you that.
1: That's for sure, it's nothing like it, it's an experience that if you can get that experience at least once in a lifetime, you definitely want to do it, because it's something you will never ever be able to fathom just in your mind, what happens and, and the love that you'll be shown at a hbcu party
0: mm-hmm. whether you're in a band or a fraternity sorority any organization when it's homecoming it's like family reunion meets church revival meets fashion show meets any other big gathering you could think of and i consider myself hbcu adjacent even though i went to a pwi at uncg and was right up the street and then 30, 45 minutes up, 40 was Winston-Salem State. So we kind of got that HBCU flavor at UNCG. And of course, everybody from all three of those campuses pretty much kicked it in the same circles, would go back and forth between the various locales.
1: Yes, yeah, you're exactly right. That was one of the best descriptions of what a HBCU party, especially homecoming would be, is a fashion show, family reunion, Uh, Church gathering, just all time, just a great kickback. That's one of the best descriptions of of what it could be for someone that either went to a PWI, didn't go to college at all, or just doesn't understand what the culture of uh, HBCU would be like. Yep. But
0: let me give some of you that's uninitiated this piece of advice. Don't go to the spot on campus where you get the three letters and the colors. Because if you're not that, they will check you. And don't wear that nail because they will check you. I know.
1: Very quick. I've never done that.
0: I know folks who are in BJLO. shout out to everybody in the D9, in PHC, also IFC too. And uh, they will check you if you ain't down.
1: That's for sure. You step on a on a Greek plot, and you don't know somebody on that plot in that fraternity or sorority, it's going to be problems for you really quickly, even if you're not denying or, you know, a black Greek letter organization like myself. I am Greek, but we we take that as a high regard. That's that's disrespect for us. So definitely be careful when you're on our yards.
0: Yeah, because you don't want no problems in the words of a uh, little scrappy. Now, our era of music, man, we grew up 90s, early 2000s, and these verses that's going on right now has really been a great celebration of the culture. We had Locks Dipset just recently, Big Daddy Kane, Karis One. If we go down the list of all the previous verses battles that transpired, so what has been your thought on those, and how has it helped? You know, the older artists say, hey. I'm going to reintroduce myself to a younger audience. And then that way that could be able to up my price for bookings, up my streaming numbers. Like Fat Joe says to today's price. is not yesterday's price.
1: Absolutely. That's right. He, he is the best slogan for right now. I've loved seeing all of the verses. I haven't been able to watch all of them, but just seeing the matchups of the artists and groups that have been doing the verses, The culture of the older generation meeting the new generation, which is great because usually there is a gap in between the older generation and the newer generation of music listeners and also the artists themselves as well. So it's good to have those groups like the Locks and Dipset come together and show what music was like in the early to mid 2000s versus now. So those kids that are just you know coming of age or teenagers now can see what music was at that time and learn about it because a lot of uh, times unless their parents or someone close to them put them into that realm of music, they won't know about it at all. Even with internet and social media now, you might hear a song say forth like on TikTok, and it's only a thirty second clip or a minute clip. But unless that person goes and does research of their group or that person, they won't know what the music is like. So it's great to have verses come and put artists on a platform for everybody to see on social media during a time where we can't or weren't able to really do a lot of performances, concerts and things of that sort. So I love to see it, and especially um, even for a DJ. It might be songs that we forget about or artists that we may not even tend to think about after a point in time. So it gives us a refresher as well to think about, OK, maybe I can put this song or this group into a set at a certain event or just go back and listen to it for nostalgia. It's, it's a great thing. So I definitely give them kudos for coming up with it during a time where the world was just in a, a kind of down and shallow place. So it's, it's really good to see it.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy to see how our era is old school now you know champion is back in style considered high fashion i've seen fubu at walmart and one and then you got the wu-tang series on hulu which is great and how you know 90s was really just a great time for music and i think it was like that last era where regardless of genre it was pretty diverse across the board because we listen to top 40 you can hear a rap record into a pop record, into a rap, new metal record. And it was just a great diverse time for music, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, it definitely was. 90s was a a pivotal time in music where everything could go back to back and you would not have a song that you would not like, or it was a producer that was just amazing and you could definitely hear that their sound would transcend from one genre to another. And the music was just of its kind and it's still popular to today with our age group and even some of the younger uh, generation is starting to learn and hear more of that music, which is great. So it's definitely a, a time capsule of its own for sure.
0: Mm, and uh, what was your first pair of turntables? Were they direct drive, belt drive? And did you lock yourself in the room? to master the art of DJing, cutting and scratching before you did your first official party as DJ intern?
1: Funny you asked that. My first pair of turntables were used. They were belt drives. Any DJ that knows those are the worst turntables that you can have if you want to be a turntableist at any point. Those are horrible. Uh, They were new marks. I got them from Guitar Center. I don't know why the guy even recommended me even buying those as a starter set, but it was what it was. In fact, you know, it was it went into my budget at the time. It got me going. Um, I started on everything pretty much analog, so I did have vinyl uh, at that time. Serato was just starting to get its traction, so this was around two thousand six, two thousand seven. So I started off on the SL one box. Everything was analog, pretty much. Those turntables gave me a start, gave me an idea of what I needed to do. I did lock myself in the bedroom, so to speak, for a few months to figure out what was going on. And during that time, that's right around when I met DJ Vince and and the whole All City crew. So I started to hang out with them and get exposure to other equipment and figure out how to use different things. And uh, that's when controllers were starting to come about as well. So The NS7 was the first controller that I used, and he let me borrow one for maybe a month just to figure out what was going on, get used to using Serato more, um, the feel of vinyl versus a controller, um, just learning the music and figuring out what works best and where it works. Uh, So I would say belt drives are horrible. I don't even know if they make belt drives still anymore now, but... um, Currently still on twelve hundreds, so I'm still more in the the old school fashion. I do have controllers as well, Uh, but to start off, belt drives were my first pair of turntables that barely worked. Were missing components. I had to sort of build my set uh, from just finding various pieces that were missing from the turntables to get them to work in a in a decent fashion. To try to find out where my footing was and what I needed to do as a, a new DJ.
0: Now, the tricky part with DJing is that if you don't have your whole setup all together yet, you got to build it piece by piece. But the most important factor of DJing is the venue. You could be DJing at a nice little convention event center or you could be DJing at either a hole in the wall spot where the element will be in full effect or in somebody's backyard where you got a trash can or a trash bag tied to the tree. Now, how does those various scenarios go into play with you DJing and knowing like, oh, maybe I need to adjust this because I'm performing here or, oh, I shouldn't play this record too early because I don't want my set to peak just yet. So it's a method to the madness.
1: Absolutely, yes. So like you said, um, between say a wedding a college party, and a backyard cookout in a country. All three of those events, you may use, say, 50 of the same songs at each of those, but there may be another 350 that you play differently at all three. So like you said, you don't want to peak your event too early at any of the three, honestly. So you don't want to play like your cameos, your electric slides, and your, say, top 10 or 15 radio tracks at the first two hours of that event unless your event is going to peak at that two-hour point and you know you have a two-hour down slide on the back end that you can either calm down and just play some older records and just chill or you want to take that last two hours from your peak and still see if you can go further and find other records that you may not think would work or you think would work and try them out so sometimes even as a good dj you might test out songs at some events to see what the reaction would be at that crowd and also knowing the crowd and reading the crowd is a a big thing as a dj so you don't want to go in to a say 45 plus crowd and play the same songs you would at an 18 to 25 crowd you're not going to get any reaction out of those people you may have a little reaction out of a few of those songs but you can't play the same exact songs at that event that you would the the backyard cookout in the summertime where everybody's sweating and doing electric slide all evening so you just have to find your balance learn to read the crowd what songs will trigger what reactions and when that you want to kind of peak your event so that way that maybe 30 minutes to an hour, hour and a half is when your dance floor or the yard is going to be packed full of people dancing and enjoying themselves, laughing, and you get your best reactions as a DJ.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure some DJs have experienced some janky promoter stuff with um, like promoter X, promoter Y, promoter Z. Where they say, Okay, we'll pay you X dollars. But when you get there, um, we undersold the ticket. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, your money's safe. Your money's in the union building. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you about half of this plus whatever's left over from the caterer.
1: Yeah, I honestly, that's a funny thing. It's almost like a rite of passage to be a DJ and, and go through that. As many DJs that I've met, talked to, I think we've pretty much all experienced that similar situation at least once. Um regardless if you didn't DJ for that promoter again or just happen to be uh, in that similar situation with other DJs and other uh, promoters that are just janky, it, it will happen and it happens more commonly than people think. So you just have to be mindful and, and learn the business back end of being a DJ as well, which is uh, also another really important part that many of us either don't know about or it takes a while to learn. So having those contracts and Uh, having the legalities and and business end of being a DJ together as well is is very crucial so that way you don't run into those situations of hey uh, you know we only got 200 bucks and the bar didn't sell that well and and the tickets didn't sell but you are at a packed event and now you're out of your money that you were expecting so those things do happen and as you uh, more or less get get along into the DJ game and in the business end you'll figure out you know, those promoters to stay away from and the buildings as well, venues, certain venues will use a promoter, but the venue itself will be the one that will pay you. And you'll, you'll learn those ones to stay away from.
0: Yep. Industry rule number 4,080 and make sure your contract is right and say, pay me. I'm not doing this for no three piece dinners.
1: Exactly. I'm tired of seeing DJs getting five piece wings and, and two cokes and a beer for payment for the night and then you got other guys that come behind them and you know we want the money and they looking at us like oh no nah, we pay so and so you know this five piece chicken plate and you know two beers and a soda now uh, we expect you to do the same thing nah that's something else that needs to stop stop undercutting as a dj no undercutting djs
0: yep know your value know your worth have that suck in writing. now while we're on the subject of three pieces i'm going to divert um there's this chicken spot i believe in central va called what lee's right yes can we talk about yes. lee's because i've never had lee's is it better than bojangles popeyes any of the other chicken spots
1: yeah I, I, it definitely has i've been here in rva for just about 12 years and lee's is a different type of chicken uh, Bojangles you know that's partial to us Carolina 434 VA people that's that's home chicken right there that's almost like like big mind in the back of the kitchen on a you know a Sunday fried chicken but Lee's is up there that it definitely tops you know most of your your other chicken chains that's something you definitely want to try if you're in RVA I believe they have a few others throughout the eastern seaboard somewhere as well mm. but it's definitely worth going and getting that chicken
0: all right, but does the top Hardy's fried chicken though? Remember, Hardy Fried Chicken is not available everywhere. You can only get it in 252 and 434
1: though. See, that's the thing, man. You can't get that hardy's fried chicken like you used to back in the in the early, you know, two well, not even really the 2000s. the late 90s was when you really got that hardy's fried chicken. But it that the Hardy's top top tier chicken, I don't think it's gonna touch that leaves like that though.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to put that on my list next time I come home. So we're talking about um, VA. You mentioned D.C., DMV area earlier. And with both our areas being so close to the nation's capital, can we talk about the influence of go-go and how when a lot of people from the DMV area would migrate to VA Carolinas to go to school or, and live, they would bring that go-go with them. So that's how we got up on, you know, backyard band, Chuck Brown. Fun fact, he was born in the 252 Northampton County and EU, Red Essence. So can we just talk about the influence of Go-Go?
1: Go-Go is a huge influence. Uh, being so close to the, the nation's capital, of course, we're naturally going to get that flow of music down the turnpike, straight down 95. Somebody's going to have that bootleg of of the latest Go-Go or just the tape of whatever, the, you know, the hottest Go-Go is at the time. And it'll... You know, filter itself out through Virginia down into Carolina and get to those DJs and just the hands of the general public to hear Go Go. So it's definitely a a huge part of most DJs set between the DMV, Carolina, and maybe even some other parts. You know, I've listened to DJs from New York that will play a Go Go record here and there, or a DJ from Cali that may have came to the East Coast. And attended the HBCU and went back to Cali and would play Go Go Records and they would drop and get a reaction from them that people would know. So the songs like It's My Fatty or Your Truck Browns or like you said, Your Rare Essence, The Backyard Bands, those are the songs that you want to use to get your crowd going. You're in, say, the DMV, you're in D.C. or Maryland doing a gig. Those are going to be the no little pockets of songs that you want to use because you're in that area. So you're going to have people react to those before they may react to uh, A. Marie or uh, N.L.E. Chopper or so forth. Um, Go-Go is a huge thing for me. That's, that's like one of my favorite genres of music, which is kind of slept on because not too many people know it, being that it's just from one central area. I really wish that more people would experience Go-Go and see what it's like to get that feel of what we feel from the DMV even though you know we're in southern Virginia so a lot of people from northern Virginia don't consider us the DMV but the V in DMV is Virginia so I mean come on think about it we are part of what that culture is DMV people come down to Richmond Carolina the 757 and bring that music with them that's how I got really into my DMV go-go music was from being in Norfolk, meeting people from DC, Maryland, Northern Virginia that had access to all of that music from what I couldn't download. I was just getting it from people that I knew. So, you know, when I did my little college dorm room parties or parties on campus or wherever, those songs were were crucial especially for the DMV people that were at those parties.
0: Yeah, because in the Triad area, uh, that's Greensboro, once in Salem, High Point, North Carolina, for those that don't know. We had a lot of people from the DMV go to school out there. And I can remember one instance. It was at this local nightclub. I was helping uh, promote parties for a promoter at the time. And this DJ, he dropped the Rare Essence Go-Go version of uh, Pieces of Me by Ashley Simpson. And the yes. hardest dude on the block whatever, maybe a pharmaceutical rep, uh, you know what that is, if you know. Yes, sir. Um, be like, ah, and I'm like, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that as from a DJ vantage. So you can imagine seeing 50 dudes that are from Southeast DC, singing it at the top of their hearts, like they are in the band themselves. It's a different feeling, just like the, the HBCU culture. It's something you would have to feel, see, and be in the mix to understand. But it definitely will make uh, a whole group of people that you would think are the young Jeezys of the world start singing like they are a 16 year old girl.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if you've been from VA, what was it like for you when you finally started to see VA? Getting noticed nationally in the music scene when you had Timbaland, Magoo, Missy, Trey Songs. Um, I know I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting somebody from from VA that uh that pop. You had Tyra that popped for a minute um, from yep. Petersburg, and uh, it's somebody else that I want to say that was uh, popping from VA. It escapes me at the moment. So, what was it like when you saw all of those people? From VA and VA's really starting to be uh, taken seriously uh, musically. Oh yeah, can't forget skills.
1: Facts. Um, it was great to see and and learn and come up with those people. It showed that Virginia wasn't just a place that people may fly over and not really come to a, a know that we have any talent from. Because when you really look at the music industry, it's more or less Carolina, Georgia. Cali, New York are like the four or five main places that people would think about music from. They don't come and think, oh, Virginia has a solid musical base. Pharrell, Timberland, Missy, Trey, Skills. Skills is the OG of music from VA. So that was our start. That's what gave the the break mostly to music for VA was Mad Skills. He was in a group with DJ Lonnie B himself and I can't think of his name right now. It's escaping my mind as well. But they had a, a rap group that was here in VA that I learned about. I never even really knew about him being from the 434 because we really didn't get radio in the 434 from Richmond. We mainly had Carolina radio. So when I moved to Richmond, that's when I started learning about the, the Super Friends. That's the name of their group, the Super Friends. They were instrumental to RVA specifically, like you know Tim and Pharrell are to the 757. But having those type of people create a base for Virginia to showcase that, okay, we have talent here. We have solid people that could go toe-to-toe with people from ATL, uh, you know, your New Yorks, some Callies, and so forth. So being a young kid that's musically inclined and intrigued by music, it was great to see that we had a mix of people here to do different types and styles of music, not just rap, but we had R&B, we have gospel singers, we have pretty much every genre is from Virginia. So it's great to see that Virginia has a base and is now getting its flowers for being a home of music
0: right and the same thing goes with nc because i believe just the south in general we were always looked at as you're not new york you're not la you're pretty much either what was coming out of texas with ghetto boys and rap a lot memphis with eight ball mjg 36 mafia then of course uncle luke and the bass music out of miami luke records and later slipping Slide, and then when everything out of atlanta Blew up with LaFace, Social so Death, Outkast, TI, Jeezy, Ludacris, Goody Mop, and even further back with DJ Taz and Raheem the Dream, and how collectively the South said, Hey, we got our own unique style, sound, and flavor. And you're not gonna look at us as just country bunkers anymore.
1: Right, exactly. That's what it was for Virginia as well. They put us in that little collective of, okay y'all don't really have music like we do here but we hear what you're doing so it was good to get us through that break and also you know with carolina you know we're like you said you know virginia and carolina are very close together uh in many aspects so we're you know pull each other up by our bootstraps and help one another out so it's great for us to get that shot and get out there and, and show what we can can do as virginia and carolina
0: yeah, we were just as hyped when Missy and Tim broke, even though they were a, a stayed up from us, and we were like, hey, you know, they they're making it, and how NC and VA pretty much you're gonna get everything that's coming from the north and the west, Midwest and the West. And you're just gonna mesh that together because you remember how something from New York will already be popping in New York and it'll come south, maybe. Five to six months later, but we'll treat it like it's the hottest thing since sliced bread.
1: All the time. And it still happens to today. Honestly, it's it's still music that will come from New York, Uh, sometimes even out west, Texas, that it may take three to five months for it to make its way to Virginia, Carolina, um, sometimes, you know, D.C. area to get on mainstream platforms, your radio or just to earshot to hear it from somebody where in those areas it's already been moving and has that momentum and people are behind those songs and, and albums and artists. So it, it is a little bit slower for us to get music here still today, just like it was in the 90s. I can remember sometimes going back to Desert Storm tapes from DJ Clue and they have been you know jumping in New York for six, eight months and the whole summer, everybody else is listening to it. And then it's Christmas when we finally get it in VA and start listening to it and, and hear those new songs from like Fabulous and The Locks, Jada Kiss and and so on. So being able to get that, that turnpike with music bubbling a little bit more is definitely a good thing for us and Carolina. So just like us, for me specifically, like when P.D. Pablo came out, that was like top tier. I'm like, oh, he's right there in Carolina. He's right down the road. Like, we know we can get access to to P D Pablo shows and get the music much easier than going and try to get, you know, Fabulous or a Slim Thug, Ghetto Boys or Snoop or somebody from, you know, the West Coast. So it's, it's definitely good for us to have that collaboration between Carolina and V.A.
0: Yeah, shout out to uh, Sugar Hill Fashions. If you know Sugar Hill Fashions, they store where the store yes. where, you, where you got your bit. Yes. But they also had the CDs from NY because think about it. If you were a hustler back in the day, you would go to D.C. or New York, grab your mixtapes, grab your Tims, grab whatever clothes, come back down, mark it up for X amount of dollars, and, and you'll sell like hotcakes.
1: That's facts. Definitely shout out to Sugar Hill, man. That was one of the spots I definitely got my music when I came down to Carolina for sure. So those stores like that are what were instrumental for sure back in the, that time for us to get that music.
0: Yeah, because I think that's where I got my copy of uh the professional part two from and then also the stockyards too. But be careful if you ever go to the stockyards because uh your outside may say something, but the tag may say something else. And uh, 12 may be out there, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah. Got to be careful for sure.
0: Yeah, got to be more careful. So um, how did you find out about your internship at 99.5 and what was that
1: like for you? So it was maybe my sophomore or either first semester of my junior year. To finish my curriculum for my degree in mass comm journalism, it was required to do an internship in either a radio station or a television station. So me being home in the four, three, four, most of the time during the summers uh, 99 five had become a staple in the area and we could listen to the radio all the time. So I found out what they were doing. And at the time the radio was programmed to play mostly music that the bigger stations didn't play on a regular. And that was something that I liked because sometimes you can tend to see that you know radio is programmed to play the same 10 or 12 songs all day long. So I uh, did a little research, uh, went on the station's website, found out who the PD was, shout out to CJ Riddick, sent him an email, um, built a relationship with them, said, you know, Hey, I'm in school. I want to be in the radio industry and I need to do an internship. Would I be able to do one with your station? And he said, yes. Um, You know, I filled out all the paperwork and everything that was required for the internship for school and for the radio station. And I just started going to the radio station and I would go some days and, and stay, you know, 12, 14 hours, just in the radio station watching what he did, uh, DJ321 and D-Train, shout out to both of those guys. They gave me a lot of back-end stuff. Yourself, um, a a bunch of other people that were there in the station, um, just finding out what it was to be behind the scenes, how to run the board, how to load carts, doing breaks, going and recording, um, doing live remotes, all that different stuff that's behind the scenes in radio that people don't know goes on was what I was doing. So I basically spent, my first summer um, at 99.5, just learning everything and being on air for short periods of time doing my internship, which ended up building a relationship with all of those people that now we're still talking, just like you. I met you from there. And here we are 12, 14, 15 years later and still have relationships where I can reach out to any of you guys and you know, we can talk about music and what it is to be in the radio industry and and things of that nature so just building that relationship with cj got me in to be able to talk to d train three two one yourself and many other people that are in carolina as well in radio
0: yeah because i would just recommend anybody like small market radio is one of the great areas to go where you can cut your teeth learn everything from running a board from cutting commercials, maybe doing some sales here and there, setting up or running a remote, you're really going to have the full gamut of being in the broadcasting business so that by the time you go to that major market job, you already know what to do. And it's funny that you mentioned D-Train because when I first went to 99.5, I was still in college at the time and I would uh, go back and visit when I was on break or whatever. And then by the time I graduated, uh, D-Train, he gave me the nickname and one because I was always at the station so much. So it's like, yeah, what up and what one. Up, but the crazy thing about D-Train is he had a hand in helping Terrence J, you know, get to where he is now. And it's crazy yes. to see like, man, Terrence J was 30, 45 minutes up 95 from Rocky Mount. And yep. you know, to see where he is now it, it's just inspirational to see his rise and how from the 252 made it all the way to hollywood
1: right yeah and like you said you know building those relationships in in the smaller markets will help you become gravitational to those larger markets and and help you know catapult yourself if you want to get to that level some people just want to stay in small market and that's fine some people want to get to those bigger markets or get to tv or get to you know being on the movie screen so like you said, people like D train CJ yourself, three, two, one are the guys that people like myself end up making those relationships that last a lifetime and, and learn so much from the back end that can go across the board, whether, you know, you stay in radio, you go to a different profession or just everyday life.
0: Mm, now, <laughs> you know what it is. How did that come about? Cause I'm not going to put you too much on blast, but there was this infamous air check where almost every break you said either you know what it is or in the building. And that along with uh, Showdown falling off the stage. What up, Showdown? Uh, Those are my two. things that i use if i need to pick me up on my day i've been listening to your air check in years by the way so i've been looking at showdown falling off the stage more than your air check so talk man, about that for why,
1: why did you bring that up man hey
0: man you know i had to do that man i got receipts and it's longer than a cbs receipt by the way
1: that's just wrong that is wrong man that <laughs> that was like one of the worst times of my life ever don't do effort, it effort man <laughs> god man i don't I, I still have the air check to the day i still have all three of my air checks that i did at 995 and i will periodically go back and listen to them and just hear how horrible i was i was just straight garbage trash and at that time i don't know if i was just stuck on saying one phrase all of the time i hadn't learned that you should do different things and kind of be more attentive on what you say even though somebody's not looking at you they're still listening to you and that's the biggest key people listen to you more than they look at you when you're on radio they sometimes never even know what you look like until you may go to an event or something like that but that was just a horrible summer because i had spent mm, four summers i think at at, uh 99.5 and i would go and you know intern basically still after i did my initial internship and that was just a horrible summer for me that
0: uh, I had trash air checks too so don't don't worry about it but um one genre of music that's specifically known in the south i think is a southern jewel and if other parts of the country hear it they would appreciate it too so can we talk about the influence of southern soul
1: that good looking house music yes man. sir it, liquor house music is a whole different ballgame. Liquor house music to uh, Southern Virginia and Carolina is what go-go is to the DMV. And honestly, most people, if you're in a good Southern family, you're going to hear liquor house music cleaning up on either Saturday morning or Sunday afternoon when the family's getting together to have their good Sunday dinner after church. That's going to be the pivotal two times you're going to hear that music for sure. Especially on a Saturday morning about 7 a.m. when your mom gets up and that bucket of water is waiting on you to start getting them floors ready. You're going to hear that liquor house music. Friday nights, you're going to hear it too. When they Or Saturday. Those... Yeah. You go to the hole in the wall and get that chicken, play some Bones or some Spades. Everybody's laughing, drinking. You're going to have a good time. You're going to hear that liquor house music. It's definitely uh, a pivotal part of being... From a southern area, uh, you know we have concerts all the time with nothing but southern soul blues artists, and they will sell out. And you will have the greatest time of your life. You're gonna get a good two piece fish with some white bread and some fries for sure. Guaranteed, you're gonna eat good along with some liquor house music, so you don't have to worry about having an empty stomach when you get the, that liquor house music going. But uh, that's that's something I also drop to a lot. You know, you get a good yard party during the summer. Some drinks are going food is getting real good that fish is coming out the grease and getting hidden in the back so nobody knows it's coming out that grease that liquor house music is going to be getting played for sure
0: yes sir and if you all have not been to a country yard party you have to experience it but to know what a good yard party is at you got to see cars park up the path down the path and somebody else's yard and you got to hear the music blasting yeah. from about 10 feet away
1: 10 feet, about a good half a mile. And if you don't see cars for a good half a mile to a mile and somebody's over in the ditch a little bit and they <laughs> car kind of look like it's stuck, but it may not be stuck, but it ain't a good yard party at all.
0: Yeah, and like you said, the fish and the chicken got to come fresh out the grease. Somebody got that big black grill going with burgers, dogs, mm-hmm. sausage, chicken, probably a whole pig, chopping that shoulder up real good if you're good at it. Right. And some good Southern soul playing, you know. But it's crazy how you mentioned with the Southern Soul artists, how they can do concerts just in the South alone, sell out, and make good money while doing it. Like Clarence Carter, Millie Jackson, The Otis Ely, T.K. Soul, Sir Charles, Pokey Bear, side piece. Mm-hmm. And we can go on and on, you know. But like The Otis Ely once said, you can't do a doggone thing until you stand up in it.
1: Gotta stand up in it. That yeah. good old chit- chitlin circuit. That's what they call It's the chitlin circuit. And it's mainly in the South. Like you said, they are concentrated. Your Alabamas, your sometimes Texas, your Georgias, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, all in that area. That's where they're going to be. That's where they're going to make that money. And it's guaranteed that they're going to sell out unless something drastic happens where tickets just don't sell or people don't show up. But it's guaranteed you're going to see somebody's auntie, and somebody's grandma out there like they're 25 still, and they're, you know, in their 70s and 80s, and they're going to have a good time.
0: Mm, it's it's going to sell. I mean, play Southern Soul along with, like, Frankie Beverly and Mays in your old school set, and watch how folks our age, hard to believe we are urban adult contemporary age now and how yes. our generation's music is getting played on urban AC or AC stations, and, you know, kids are looking at us saying, uh, what's a cassette tape?
1: Right. And the bad part is they're doing us as a throwback in high schools. Now, when they do the throwback day for homecoming week, we're the generation that they're dressing up and portraying now, which is weird to me because I'm still young. I don't know why y'all think we owe, but I'm still young. But yeah, that, yeah. that is definitely right. So, uh, you know, we're in that age group now, but you definitely can play those Frankie Beverly and Mays, Luther Vandross and, you know, the Barry Whites, all the people from that, that era that we grew up on. Along with that Southern soul, and you can guarantee to have a good time.
0: Yeah, definitely for sure. And you mentioned kids now doing the 2000s era as a throwback. I think i seen some pictures circulating on Facebook. Uh, one kid dressed up as Soldier Boy, um, he- dressed up with throwback jerseys like uh, Fabulous, who really started the throwback jersey trend and so on yes. and so forth. But I want to go back to Soldier Boy real briefly. I don't think he gets enough credit for the movement that he started with having songs go viral and really using the internet to his advantage to build his brand, to build his audience. And this is back during the early days of Facebook and also uh, MySpace.
1: Absolutely. He, he really does not get the credit that he deserves for basically starting that movement. He had the highest selling ringtone Back when ringtones were a thing on cell phones, he was the first person to do that. So he definitely doesn't get the credit that he deserves and, and get his flowers for having the whole crank movement and having the oversized white tees and the dancing while you're rapping. That whole bit was definitely Soldier Boy and how it became what it is today. So he definitely doesn't get the flowers uh, that he deserves, but he definitely had an era that for sure was amazing
0: hmm Can we talk about Mel Joes?
1: Ooh, man, good old Mel Joes, man. That's the one and main club that everybody from the 434 4 knew about. Even people from the 804, Carolina, all types of places would come to. Mel Joes was that hole in the wall, one door building that everybody would come to, it had a big spacious parking lot so you could park. Cars would be stacked, double parked everywhere on a good party night. Um, you no, know, I was a kid when Mel Joe's was in its prime, so I never got to go in Mel Joe's, you know, during that time. But the stories that I've been told and heard from older family members, people that I've met and found out where I'm from, they have talked so many countless hours about Mel Joe's. Sad to see that it, it closed and it's no longer in its heyday either. But the 434 Especially more or less the Freeman Emporia area is known for Mel Joe's.
0: Right. Just like Stacy from the Wood, I remember them dances. You remember those clubs that you go into where, like I said earlier, the element is in the room where it's pretty much nothing but Black Air Force One energy.
1: Definitely Black Air Force Energy and Coke 45. That's, that's definitely Mel Joe's move for sure.
0: Yeah, but don't have no crunk music playing, though, because that would accelerate that. But can we talk about, real quickly, that era of crunk music that came out of Atlanta around early, mid-2000s with Lil Jon, the East Side Boys, Lil Scrappy, Pastor Choi, David Banner, and just that whole movement and how it just fueled what was already a lit musical scene in Atlanta and took it... Nationwide, internationally, even, because I mean, you had people in other countries knowing Little John thanks to Dave Chappelle's skit on Chappelle Show.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely was a time to be alive for sure. That was many of our times when we were in our high school era. So we're, you know, between ninth grade and 12th grade. Um, the crunk movement was one of its own for sure. Shout out to Little John for basically spearheading that whole thing. Those were songs that were guaranteed to either start a brawl. You're going to either have on a dirty white tee after that or either it may be some gunshots if you are in a bad, semi-sketchy area. That's one set or genre of songs that's guaranteed that if you want to go home early as a DJ, play about three or four of those, especially Nug if you buck, Never Ever. Play those back-to-back. Yeah, you're going home early that night. If your feet hurt and you don't really want to DJ, play those around about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Guaranteed shut down. Yeah. Those are songs that pff, guaranteed the club is getting shut down.
0: Yeah, that's on the not playlist. Don't play Be A either because like the dude in Unforgivable said, you ain't no nerd.
1: Yeah, yeah. Guaranteed the, the promoter's going to be mad at you. But uh, yeah, you, you're going home early that night.
0: Yeah, yeah, you might want to stay by the door, stay by the exit. As soon as the opening snap or knock if your butt hit, make your way to the exit.
1: Yeah, immediately, immediately.
0: Yeah, and if somebody says, let me go to my car, you know what that
1: means. <clears throat> you better not be there when they get back is all I'm telling you.
0: Yep, let me go to my car. He ain't getting his license registration neither. At all nope not at all because it'll smell like guys green grass and uh other illegal substances in the spot and um it 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 was it was it was a wild time i mean we had some wild times even though at our point in high school and middle school definitely we weren't club age but man the dances back in the day these kids now these kids now i'll repeat it again these kids now do not understand our era when we had those public school dances and don't let it mm. be on a field trip it is a night field trip too and you know what happens on the bus on a night field trip at the back especially there's no chaperone sitting in the back too
1: yeah. i never condoned last that five rows.
0: in any anyway. uh i'm just saying yeah
1: yeah that last five rows of that that back of that bus yeah buddy that was a whole different experience than those first five rows of the bus, where the chaperone was sitting somewhere up close to that. Those those were the times, man. These kids don't understand at all.
0: Nope, Upper uh, Bound <sighs> was 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 wild too. So if you know about Upper Bound, that was that was a that was a wild yeah. time as well. Because I try to tell mm-hmm. kids now, enjoy college. I mean, because I yeah. feel you know with the pandemic and everything that's going on, you know the college experience has changed. But you know when we went, man. I could not wait until my mama and them left after moving me in. I was just ready to just dive in. It did, especially if you were at a school that had no curfew Mm. on dorm visitations, you knew what was going down.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, man. You, You hit the nail on the head too. When them parents drop you off and you know they going out of town, going back home, you not from that area, oh, it's going down. Nobody knows you. Don't really know who you are, your family, nothing like that. Oh, you about to wild out? Facts, facts,
0: Man. and you already eyeing somebody at orientation. Like, okay, okay, you, okay, you, yeah, you yep. may be, you mm-hmm. may be a possible. You playing them like a Uno hand?
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I was in marching band, so I was, I was. Whew, that's a whole different ball game, right there, my brother.
0: Yeah, I, I know you know with marching band. But those that do not know, HBCU marching band culture is a culture within itself. So can we talk about the difference between HBCU marching band culture and let's say marching band culture at a PWI and how they vary?
1: It's a big difference. So PWIs are considered core style, which is more a military base type of marching band with HBCUs high stepping which military is incorporated in that with the high stepping the precision uh being able to play the music do cadences and and such all at the same time that's the big difference between a pwi marching band and a hbcu marching band typically hbcu bands are going to be doing dances calling out cadences singing playing and a whole other number of things while they're either doing a parade, a field show, or in the stands. Uh, where a PWI typically they're on the field, their field show, they may do a little bit of movement, they may have drills, which HBCUs do as well, but their drills are totally different from HBCU. So if you were to take, say, a Norfolk State Spartan Legion band against a Virginia Tech band and just watch what both of those bands do at halftime it'll give you exactly the idea of the big differences that will go on between the two bands and the culture is specifically astronomical for hbcu band where just for say a virginia tech football game the attendees in the stands are there for actual football hbcu they're there for the marching band so the stands will probably be semi-empty for the first half of the game, but around that two, three minute mark before that marcher band comes on to that field, the seats are going to be full. They're going to watch that marcher band. They're going to dance. They're going to sing along. They're going to cheer that band on. And then some may stay for the rest of the football game for the second half. Then some may just leave and peruse around and do whatever. So if you go to a HBCU football game, definitely check out the difference at halftime versus a PWI halftime.
0: Yep, because as they say, halftime is game time. Now, what it's instrument did before. you end up playing uh, in the marching band? Uh,
1: my final instrument was the tuba, but I played alto saxophone. Also, I uh, was in percussion, and I played trombone as well.
0: Okay, I never knew you got your Devin Miles on um, back in the day. a yeah. shout out to uh, Nick Cannon yeah. and Drumline Goat Movie.
1: Yeah, definitely, that was uh, a huge idea of what it was Uh, especially for me like going into college i was thinking it was going to be pretty much what drumline was but it's not it has some aspects to it that are what it's like but it was more of a kind of fictional setting because they can't put all of what truly happens you know from a marching band into a movie in you know a couple hours it's not going to go down that same way but it gives you an idea of you know, somewhat what it would be like in a marching band. But definitely shout out to Nick Cannon for the Drumline Series.
0: Definitely that. And then I want to touch on um, two big sports figures from the 757 and how they changed the face of the game and their respect to sports. We have Michael Vick, who played for the yeah. Falcons. And then he was just recently named to the 75th all Anniversary Team for the NBA AI, a.k.a. Bubba Chuck.
1: Yes, sir. Good old Bubba Chuck, man. Numerous times I've seen Bubba Chuck just on campus at Norfolk State during my time there. Homecoming, few football games, anything, um, you know, with his family being from the area. So we would see Bubba Chuck, you know, kind of on a regular, honestly. He would, you know, be there and we would see him, you know, really cool laid-back guy. You know, you could walk up to him and say, hey, what's up, take a picture with him. Uh, Mike Vick, I've actually seen him in Norfolk as well, um, you know, with his brother, His brother actually played football at Virginia Tech, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he played at Tech during his time. Yeah, so during his time, even when he was still in high school, um, you know his his brother was playing football in high school still in the seven five seven. So he would be there, um, you know, during his off time to see his brother play, but also would come to Norfolk State, you know, go around campus, and you'll see him drive through, you know, in his car. So you already knew if if him or AI, you know, were on campus, you would know because you know you might see a Bentley or you might see a fan. Or you might just see, you know, Alexis on like some 22s or something that, you know, no student is driving. So, you know, it was somebody, you know, that was pretty popular or famous. Um, two really great athletes that show what Virginia athletes for sure are capable of doing. And, uh, you know, in their perspective game, they're two legends for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. But can you imagine now the Hysteria had a Michael Vick an AI, or even a Russell Wilson, who's from Richmond, if they went mm-hmm. to uh, HBCUs in
1: today's time? Man. that's That would be very pivotal for HBCU sports. And that's what we really need are more of those talented players of their caliber going to HBCUs. Not saying they're going to a PWI or any other you know, university or college is a bad thing but we don't put enough emphasis and backing behind those type of players to get them on D1 or D2 teams and show what an HBCU could be as well as just like your, you know, SEC teams or, you know, whatever other conference we could, we do have players that are pretty much on those calibers as well. But if we could have more powerhouse teams built from players like those three guys HBCU sports would definitely be on a a whole nother caliber, which, which I give a a, a huge shout out to coach prime, you know, Deion Sanders, he's down at Jackson state right now and is doing amazing with their football team and, and getting, you know, that stamina going with the football team. And they already have a huge presence with their alumni and uh, surrounding area. The people that live, you know, there in Jackson, that, attend their football games and especially their homecoming, which was just a couple of weeks ago, they had one of the highest ranking attendance numbers for a football game, which was, I think almost 56,000 people during a pandemic. So if we can get all HBCUs or a good majority of our HBCUs to have that type of vibe, it'll definitely be amazing for us.
0: Yeah. You mentioned coach Sanders down at Jackson state. We also have a uh, coach Eddie George at a uh, Tennessee state. And then also want to bring home the point, if you're good, they'll find you. I mean, the greatest wide receiver of all time, Jerry Rice, went to a HBCU, Mississippi Valley State. Steve McNair, Alcorn State, he was in the running for the Heisman, had a great NFL career. Walter Payton, Jackson State, all the players that came out of Grambling, coached by the late Eddie Robinson, Doug Williams being one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aeneas Williams went to Southern. Uh, Michael Strahan, Texas Southern. And Mm -hmm. on the basketball side, we have uh, Avery Johnson, Southern, Charles Oakley, Virginia Union, and recently inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, also from Virginia Union, Ben Wallace.
1: Big Ben. yep. Yep. Definitely a talented guy, man. He's real humble. He actually has a gym here. Uh, for some semi-pro basketball teams and just, you know, like rec teams as well that play ball in his gym. Um, So guys like that are those uh, names that, like you said, if you are valid, you are a great player, you have what it takes, they will come find you and get you signed up and get you on a roster so you can play and show what it is to have that talent for sure.
0: Yeah, and Ben Wallace, like uh, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, Doug Christie, Metal World Peace, starting five of the Dark Alley team. I put Pat Beverly in there, too, because Pat Beverly listens to Never Scared every day of the week.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different league right there, buddy.
0: Yes, sir. Definitely a whole different lead. But um, before we wrap, I want to get into what's your take on DJing today and how the transition from analog over to digital kind of gives the newer DJs coming in kind of not that same level of pride that DJs like yourself and of the old school era had where I really had to sit and learn how to match beats, beat juggle, study the BPMs where with the newer equipment now, you kind of sort of have a cheat
1: code. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the equipment that is made now, you have sync buttons. It will do pretty much all of the work for you. So you have a lot of people that will go to Guitar Center or Sam Ash or their local uh, swap meet, pawn shop, whatever, and just buy equipment. And then in a week there, oh, I'm a DJ. Like, even myself, I don't consider myself as one of the DJs that you would just be like, oh, he's a DJ. I say, you know, I'm still in the early phases of being a DJ. I've been DJing now about 11 years, and I still don't consider myself a hardcore DJ. It's still stuff that I want to learn, still stuff that I am learning. But I'm seeing, you know, your everyday Joe Blow just pop out in, you know, a week or two and like, oh, I'm a DJ and I want to do events. But then they don't show up with the professionalism of DJs that are before myself and of my category and have the equipment that I do or older DJs may have and can do what we do at these parties. Um, You know, being able to beat match by ear and learning where to drop a needle, um, stuff like that, you don't even necessarily have to do as a DJ anymore because most of the stuff is from controllers and you don't have actual needles that you need uh, to, to DJ with anymore. So you just have you know, either digital platforms or you have the phase uh, automatic DJ needles where you just put it on your platter and it goes and does what it does by itself. Um, so it's, it's definitely a different ball game now with DJs that are coming in versus DJs that are more of the old school fashion. I don't knock anybody that wants to be a DJ that comes in now. As long as you put in that work, learn how to beat match, learn your music, learn how to read a crowd, you're business minded and can handle your own. It's all love to you. I've definitely, you know, chopped it up with a few new people and and gave them some pointers from my perspective on things that I've done wrong, uh, things I had to learn the hard way and just conversations I had with other veteran djs that helped me get to where i am today so um i I just say man if if you're going to be a dj take your time learn the music have a a passion for it don't just try to do it to get into parties free to pick up women or guys and to you know just do whatever with it actually have some type of uh dedication definitely have consistency with doing it because that's what's going to get you to be a better dj and and just take your time don't try to rush it you, you won't get anything in the dj realm fast it's going to take time to build to get your you know following to get the music to get the equipment everything it's, it's a costly game so if you talk to a dj especially an older dj all of this stuff isn't cheap so you can imagine just going and getting a set of needles can cost you 300 400 bucks so, you know, I have a stack of DJ equipment behind me in my little studio that I'm in right now, and I could probably buy two cars with the amount of equipment that I've accumulated over the last 10 years. I mean, it's not something that you just want to jump into to try to make a quick buck and think you're going to be cool by doing it. Take your time, learn what you need to learn, reach out to other guys. I even have a hard time some sometimes myself reaching out to other veteran DJs because they're going to look at me like, oh, this is just a new guy. He don't know what he's doing. He's just trying to get it, you know, real quick. I mean, you still need to make that connection with some of the older veteran DJs and pick their brains. Some are willing to, you know, teach you and tell you different tricks and stuff of the trade. Some aren't. So, you know, it just is what it is at that point. Just, you know, that person. But don't just jump into it and, you know, feel like, okay, I'm going to be a DJ in a week and I'm going to go to the, the biggest and best club in the, in the city or in the state and be the headliner. It's not going to work that way.
0: Nope. Treat it like a stock. It's a long-term investment or like a nice, good home-cooked meal from mama. It's not ready yet, but when it's ready, it's going to be good. Get your weight up and then you'll be able to figure out the wet rest. Now you mentioned how a lot of the newer equipment, the, does all the work for you and the newer DJs won't really understand the horror of having a record skip on you while you're mid-set. Now there's this clip not really a clip. I found it online. It was like maybe an hour plus of a 1990 set that Kid Capri did um, from, I believe it was the Tunnel or some other popular New York nightclub. And he was playing the remix of Been Around the World by Lisa Stansfield that was done by DJ Mark the 45 King. And then in the middle of that record dropping, record skipped, he came on the mic because crowd was getting a little like, hey. And he was like, yo, my bad, the record's good. I know I messed up, but I can break it off like this. And then immediately went to his net record and kept the party going.
1: Yeah, and see something like that, it's not something you're going to typically do when it happens very fast. So somebody that's, you know, a week or two in won't have that reaction or even think about saying, oh, hey, I messed up, but my bad, I got something better for you. Let me drop this and hit you with this. So stuff like that, it takes time. You you know, you want to get your mic game up. You're going to want to talk and not have to, you know, specifically rely on a hype man or somebody on the mic all the time. You want to talk as a DJ as well. You want to know your music so that way if it does skip, you might be able to fill in with the words and have that crowd interaction until your, you know, music comes back in or, you know, say your, your mixer might go out. You might need to be able to rock, you know, for two or three minutes. While it resets, just, you know, off the words of the song, you can do that. So it definitely takes time. You have to build, you know, continuously on what it is to DJ learning new equipment, older equipment. You really won't see too much older equipment, especially with the 1200s being phased out now. If you find them, they're going to be expensive. I can guarantee you that for one. Um, other than that, just, man, be humble. That's the biggest thing. Don't try to be cocky all the time and think you're going to be better than the next DJ just because you have the newest equipment. Um, you can get whatever certain music, but it, it's, it's a lot to it. Um, the main thing is just try to take your time. Don't want to rush out. You know, we don't have, you know, it's a lot of, you know, bedroom DJs still too, but we don't need a lot of, oh, I've you know got all this music in a week. I don't want to rock a party type people either.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we wrap? Also, plug your social media and where can folks contact you if they're interested in um, getting you for a gig?
1: Oh, yeah, man. I got a, a few people I definitely want to shout out, man. Um, DJ321, CJ in the mix, DJ Earn, salute to the big homie 252. You know what I'm saying? I used to come up to 99.5 uh, down in Greensboro, holding it down on 102 Jams. Uh, DJ Vince, DJ Punisher, man. Everybody from All City Entertainment, man. Salute to all y'all guys. Shout out to UJ Mace, man. Appreciate you for the opportunity, for always being a, a good brother to have a conversation about some music with. Uh, just laugh and kick it. And uh, shout out to, man, everybody that's always booked me for a party. All my people from Norfolk State, man. Y'all already know what it is, Behold the Green and Gold. Uh, if you want to book me, Intern at gmail.com. It's N. T U R N, um, uh, social media, the same DJ N T-U-R-N on or everything, uh, IG, Facebook, whatever, man, hit me up. You can always book me one of those ways. Um, I can get you, you know, my personal information. You can give me a call, uh, or just send that message on Facebook or, or IG and, you know, we can go from there.
0: Yeah, you have it people. And you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts on the YouTube channel, beyond the album cover and, Stay subscribed to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Beyond the Album Cover, where you can stay updated with the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, a good brother, my good friend, Mr. You Know What It Is, a.k.a. DJ Intern. Intern, thank you for coming on Beyond the Album Cover and chopping it up with me, bro. I
1: appreciate you, Jay Mace.
0: Yes, sir.